Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by news editor Emma Powell. How are you doing, Emma? Yeah, good, thanks. Excellent. And commodities correspondent Alex Newman. How are you? And I'm... podcast editor. Yes. Lest I forget. I'm well. You're my boss in this uh, this relationship here. Oh no, it's got very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we're going to talk, Alex, because there's been a lot of news from the commodity space this week. Not all of it good. Yeah, not in fact, a lot most, of it. In fact, pretty much all of it yeah. bad, um, which we thought was behind us, but never mind. Uh, lots going on uh, elsewhere in the markets. Um, we had a busy week on the results front too. We'll, we'll touch on some of those. Megan seems to have written half a magazine again. Megan's not here today, unfortunately, but uh, but you can you can pick that up. I can, I can. You can. So let's start with seven days. Seven What's going days. on, Emma? Well, we've got um, talking to Megan's beat. Obviously, she does telecoms. We've got uh, BT um, heading into negotiations with its pension trustees. Uh, basically, they're trying to save some cash. I think BT's pension scheme, defined benefit pension scheme, is classed as the second worst funded in the world. It's got a massive deficit, multi-billion pound deficit. But BT, obviously, don't just want to keep on plugging the deficit or trying to plug the deficit, which keeps rising with cash. Because obviously that means that, you know, there'll be less to invest in the business. Or less to pay dividends. Less to pay dividends, less to pay down its debt as it matures or refinance its debt as it matures. What they've kind of hinted at in their annual report is that they will give them prior, give the pension scheme prior ownership over certain assets, which is actually a um, a growing trend by companies and their pension schemes um, because ultimately a lot of pension scheme trustees do ju- do just want the cash really, but. From a company perspective, you want to invest that cash in the business. Yeah, you need the, you need the business to keep performing. Exactly. I mean, plugging the deficit sounds great, but if you don't invest in the business, then then the whole thing is going to spiral out of out of control and get worse. Yeah. Probably. So it is a growing trend. And um, when I used to report on pensions, you'd hear of things like contingent assets like cheese or whiskey. Cheese. Cheese is one. Cheese. We're talking dairy crest here, are we? I think we are. Yeah, it must be. Um, Diageo with the whiskey. That's another one. Yeah. So they're long maturing assets aren't yeah, they so yeah, okay exactly. that's quite interesting so so, this so what's is like, bit, what sort of assets is bt talking about um they didn't give any color really they just said prior ownership of assets so i mean who knows mm. some of the infrastructure i mean who knows um it's, it's funny i've got a strange email from uh, from a reader this week about about pensions and, and it seems that um that that whoever is in charge of kind of overseeing companies relationships with their pension schemes is going to be applying more pressure for companies to make sure that their schemes are fully funded and that, that sounds to me like bad news potentially for, for shareholders, particularly those shareholders in companies where dividends are being currently prioritised. Yeah, I mean, it is tricky. And like going past going back the past few years now, companies are trying to be more and more inventive about how they try and plug deficits without just piling cash into it. Because of the way kind of gilts are at the moment, <laughs> the deficits keep rising and I guess it's very frustrating you know in the case of BT this is obviously what's happened and you don't just want to keep ploughing more and more cash in and the deficit keeping on rising anyway they put 1.5 billion in um, that was in 2015 and then 250 million in 2016 and 17 um, and obviously they set recovery plans every three years when a scheme has its valuation so now they're just going into the negotiations now that that's taking place from uh, this week onwards. It, it's interesting actually I mean I've looked at this before this whole deficit issue. Deficits tend to be larger it seems in companies that have previously been state-owned and then spun into a privatized essentially 
So, so these are the legacy, yeah. legacy pension issues going back many, many years, pro- probably as far back as the time when it was state-owned. Um, you know, I remember one, Unic, which was a dairy company, had a huge deficit issue. Um, I think Royal Mail had a Royal Mail issue, has, yeah. has problems like that. Yeah, it does seem to be some, you know, getting all political now because well, that's, that's where we are. But yeah, public companies tend to have this problem more than others was former that, former public companies was that the reader's concern then in there the reader well? didn't seem to have any concern he seems to think this was great news uh that, that this was but but i i kind of read it completely the opposite to the to, to, to the observation that uh, our dear reed had made um yeah i i think pension deficits are a, a problem and particularly for those companies where dividends are being prioritized currently but hey let's move on enough about the technicalities of pension accounting and cheese, whiskey. Uh, what else have we got, Emma? Um, there's been more developments on the RBS front. So uh, after really going for it, the RBS Shareholders Action Group, um, which represents thousands of retail institutional investors, has decided they've issued a letter saying they've decided to accept. The revised compensation offer, which went from 41p to 82p a share, um, it's it's below. I think they were they were holding out for a range between ninety two right up to two hundred and thirty four pence a share. Um, so what that means is basically Fred Goodwin may avoid the trial, which I think, I mean, it, the whole thing would have been really embarrassing for him and I think the company. Um, so they're very keen to avoid that. So this is over, then, is it? Well, it's not completely over because it's yet to be. It's not yet to be formally formally agreed, and also. There could be, I mean, potentially, if you wanted to, any claimant who wanted to continue pursuing uh, the lawsuit would have to find funding to do that. Bearing in mind, then, if you lose, um, you'd be liable to pay RBS's costs, which I think at the moment are about £25 million. Yeah, you wouldn't would want to be liable for that. I did, again, I had an, a, an email on, on this, uh, this issue, too, uh, from a guy who perhaps had not spotted much earlier that, that they perhaps needed to look into how they got involved in this, a former shareholder who, who had taken up the right that this issue centres upon, and he was asking whether he can get involved now. And I suspect the answer is no. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm actually, I, I do know, particularly for the shareholder action group, um, if you go on the website, it says um, applications are closed. So for, with that well, they closed one, a I long know. time ago. Yeah, yeah, presumably yeah, yeah. So it's definitely closed now. So n- no, I think that ship might have sailed. That ship has sailed. Uh, if you haven't got involved, and it would have been months and months and months ago that you'd have yeah, had to put your been. claim in. Yeah, this has been so long running. It's, it's worth pointing out, though, that there, there are definitely some shareholders who weren't really, compensation was never the priority for them. They just wanted to see... Fred Goodwin That's stay, very they, true, they, yeah. in court. So, so, so that, think, that may yeah. that may end up, you know, pushing RBS into the uh, into the, the witness stand at some point. Yeah, I did I did read that. Um yeah, I mean you have got you have got institutional investors in there and I mean, who knows, maybe, you know, it'll cost them cost them a lot of money but i yeah i did read that maybe they just want that satisfaction of seeing him on the stand i mean it was it was the worst takeover of all time i mean it really has you can't i mean if there's a top 10 it's in there i mean it might not be the worst i'm sure there there may be one or two you could point to but i mean this this was done the takeover of abn amro as far as i'm aware without any really intensive due diligence i mean it was negligent yeah it was just the drive to be bigger and bigger and bigger what a well, as I've often said in my editorials, big is not always best. Which is why I never never fully understand why AIM gets disparaged so much, because small, nimble companies mm. often do great things. Okay. What else we got, Emma? 
Uh, we've got uh, the car finance market, yeah. US car finance market. Yeah, um, so, so so over here, the FCA is looking at this market because yeah, they're concerned, they, but in America, the concerns have kind of raced ahead, as it yeah, were. Yeah, so we've been hearing about this for a while, kind of he- hearing rumours about this, but now we've had the first... Um, the first sequential drop in in lending by the the kind of commercial banks, big commercial banks in the US um, to the uh, motor market. So there have been concerns about underwriting standards anyway in the US. And now obviously, in the UK, the motor market, um, I mean, it's particularly PCP over here. Um, That is the most unfortunately known financial product I've ever heard. That's that's PCP is the the acronym for 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 the drug colloquially known as angel dust is, is it not? I don't know. Yeah, so it's um it's it's kind of the latest part of the market in terms of the UK that the FCA you know they've already gone after credit cards so um, we are actually going to be writing a, a kind of broader piece on the uh, car finance market because um, there's a lot of kind of players in that sector. I'm very nervous about this market. I agree. for a number of reasons. Yeah, yeah, and so and the, I mean the FCA investigation is going to or review is going to centre on how loose or tight have the underwriting standards been in loose this i suspect is the, is the answer probably going yeah because the, the market's exploded um, since the financial crisis it absolutely exploded. Um, in the US as well, when the yeah. mortgage market kind of people turned away from that, this was seen as you know another big growth area. And so, so what worries me is that I mean, I'm not so worried that there is going to be a huge wave of defaults that you know will cripple the, cripple the banking system in the same way that that we saw nine years ago in the financial crisis. But what I am concerned about is that the FCA says. Yeah, standards aren't what they should be. We need to tighten these up, and it just puts the brakes on the car market, which is a big driver of the UK economy. Yeah, exactly. I think that's so many companies are exposed to this from the retailers, the manufacturers, people that provide finance. So it's, in terms of listed companies, there's a lot. Yeah. So, John, why is, why is your uh, your inkling that this is you know, this has been a, a poorly overseen sector or that there is there is risk? Yeah, within, I just see the, the car I just see you just see. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's going back to the old sort of gut feel and scuttlebutt. But you see a lot of people driving around in very flash cars, and I just, you know, you know what the you know what the average wage is in the UK. You know that you know. Therefore, most people you see around are kind of somewhere around the sort of the mean, and they're driving around in very very expensive cars. And I look at this and think this doesn't make any sense. Mm. I'm driving around an old banger mm. that I got off my brother who bought a car with a PCP. <laughs> <laughs> Not angel dust. Yeah. <laughs> Not angel dust. I, I think we need to keep an eye on this one. We've said this before. Um, I'm interested on this page uh, before we move on uh, with this this uh, this IPO story. We, we're, we're paying a bit more attention to IPOs uh, under your your watch, Emma. We, we didn't entirely agree about the mattress IPO. Yeah. What about? Tell me about this one. Yeah. So Alpha Alpha Financial Software is the company. Um, they've just started trading um, this week, and they're the biggest IPO of the year so far. Biggest tech. IPO in the UK in two years. So it's very oversubscribed. The shares are up now more than a quarter on the original listing price. What does, um, it, do? What does it do? So it provides software to banks and also other companies that provide asset finance. Right. Okay. Big market? One assumes it is. If this is such I think a it is IPO. About, yes, I think it is a big market. Think about the amount of compliance software that a bank needs. Yes, indeed. So it's indeed. all that kind of thing. But there are lots of companies in that market already. But there you go. Uh, uh, talking of banks, there's a bank IPO coming as well. 
Oh, yes. Allied Irish uh, is coming. Uh, 25% of the shares are going to be listed in Ireland and London. Um, so it's kind of estimated that it will be between 12 billion and 13 billion uh, market cap. Obviously, people might remember Allied Irish, a uh, very, very troubled bank. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I was going to say, I mean, this, 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 I mean, actually, this year, and we, we spoke about it this week, um, this year marks the 10th anniversary of the collapse of Northern Rock. Which, yeah, exactly. Which kind of got the ball rolling on the whole financial crisis. Yeah, and, it was, um, it was and, and, and obviously the, the Irish banks were, were banging, banging sen- the centre of that. Yeah. Is this, is this something that we should be looking at, taking seriously? Has, 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 it, has it changed dramatically? Well, I mean, they do make the point that it's been reporting pre-tax profits for the past three years. It's in kind of really reduced its non-performing loans. I mean, ultimately, we'll we'll really know and be able to analyse it properly when we get the prospectus through. Because it, presumably, its non-performing loans previously were property related, largely. I can I can I can imagine so. Yes, I mean, it, it was it was Allied Irish and obviously Anglo Irish that ultimately sorts Ireland to get to bailout from mm. the EU. So, it, mm. yeah. But there's actually quite a, quite a few uh, Irish property companies listed in the UK now, uh, yeah. particularly in the commercial property space, which seems to be doing really nicely. And also look really co- kind of well positioned to benefit if there's any uh, transition of financial services employees uh, out of the UK when, when we, we approach Brexit. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Ireland, maybe worth looking at. Uh, we've got lots of Irish readers, actually. They... Uh, we do. And there's lots of Irish companies on the stock market. Should we talk about uh, commodities? Sure. Let's talk Petrofac. Let's get, let's get this dirty story out of the way. Right. Where well, do you start with this one? It is a mess. I suppose you start on the 12th of May, uh, and that was when, uh, out of the blue, Petrofac uh, updated the market on the Sirius Ford Office's investigation into Unoil, which um, is a, a, a Monaco-based... Fixer, of fixer. Sorts. When you hear the word fixer, you don't. You immediately think, "Ooh, that right. sounds dodgy." Right. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's it's sort of tabloid reduction for for you know for intro, you know introducing and helping uh, oil and gas companies in their contracts bidding around the world. Yeah. Well, hang um, on, I mean, sorry, sorry. Before, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Rolls Royce had similar problems with fixers. Mm. Intermediaries, and I believe. Intermediaries, mm. yes, to get the terminology absolutely correct, not to reduce it in tabloid style. Um, so, so yeah, similar, similar problem? Well, it does seem to be. I mean, with Unoil, I mean, the investigation, I mean, in terms of identifying the specific problem, this was a you know, big expose by an Australian uh, uh, media group last year. In terms of what the problem is and, you know, the, the various allegations, I think maybe it's not, it's not necessarily something we would go into now. We, All we, that we, we can't. Yeah, we can't. We have to be we careful. Yeah. We, can, we can only report upon we can, We have to be very careful. Of course. But what we do know uh, is the Unoil investigation that the SFO is currently carrying out, insofar as it impinges or touches upon Petrofac, centres on their, their dealings in Kazakhstan between 2002 and 2009 when Unoil was hired by Petrofac. So we had this announcement on the 12th of May that Petrofac is now also under investigation by the SFO. Also that the COO, Marwan uh, Chedid, and the CEO, Ayman Asfari, had been interviewed under caution as part of that investigation. So there's, a, you know, there's quite a violent share price reaction on the day. Bear Ball, as our readers, uh, some of our readers will, will know, wrote a, 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 a very good piece on that, saying that, uh, you know, at that, uh, at that point, saying there was not enough sufficient information to make a call either way that and he wasn't selling out 
six days later, a non-exec uh, called Jane Sadowski, who'd only joined in November, resigned. There's no explanation from the company for that. Yeah, but you can see... You never sh- good can, to see. Never good to see. Uh, and then a week later, we got the, the, the true bombshell. It was pretty much as bad as it gets for an RNS. Uh, Petrofac uh, had suspended Marwan Chadid. Uh, they revealed that both he and uh, Ayman Asfari had been interviewed... Uh, whilst under arrest by the SFO, which is not previously disclosed, and being interviewed under caution doesn't necessarily mean you've been arrested. Yeah, not only not only that, but they said they, that Petrofac had not cooperated with the investigation or not been deemed to cooperate. Which, for sentencing, if it does come to that, is is you know is very very serious. Because because Rolls Royce, going back to my initial yeah. question, did cooperate fully with sure. with with the, with the authorities throughout the investigation. Yeah. So it's a bit different already here. And and the board of Petrofac now obviously, you know, see sees how how serious this is and how serious they need to take the investigation and be seen to be taking the investigation. As a result, they've uh they've uh they've basically parked the CEO away from the SFO investigation, away from clients. Uh, and off the the one of the uh, the nomination committee, so he is now no longer has any responsibilities for removing or appointing directors. They've brought in an independent consultant to uh, in, you know to work with the the board and the SFO, and uh, and 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 the the other revelation as well was that the internal investigation which was carried out by uh, Freshfields, the law firm, last year, commissioned by Petrofac. Was deemed was not accepted by the SFO or their 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 you know what what came of that report. So it's pretty much as bad as it as bad as it gets. And I agree with Bearball in in this this week's column. We've written to a similar effect in the tips page that this is now an existential matter for Petrofac. Right. So so Bearball previously had them in his income portfolio. He sold them. Yeah. Uh, you had them on a buy. Yeah. And you've sold. You've switched to a sell. Yeah. So. You know why? Why is this now existential? Why? I mean, why have we switched from a buy to a sell? Why? Why is it that that this has has raised the prospect of this company essentially ceasing to exist potentially? I mean, the, the first thing you'd you'd say is that there's there's probably or there's quite possibly going to be a big fine coming. This is not this scandal's not going to go along. But, right. but fines companies can handle. Sure, companies can handle it. And and Petrofac has you know has got uh, supportive banking relationships, which they reiterated this week. You know, say they get lo- you know lopped with a billion dollar fine. That's not going to destroy the company necessarily. What is really problematic is the reputational risk. As so long as this continues, and even after you know a resolution, you know is arrived at, um, the the company is built around the CEO. I mean, uh, Amen Asfar has been with the company for for nearly three decades. He will be the the point man along with his CEO, who's now no. no now no longer with the company for winning contracts you'd struggle to see how Petrofac is now going to be winning and bidding for for contracts with with all oil and gas companies around the world you know in the current you know while whilst under investigation that's gonna be very very hard and then finally sorry just 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 to cap it off to add to that the company's already uh you know, will have learned as investors will have learned that there's legal action being proposed by various shareholders and their litigation funders coming in to back this legal action. Mm. That's particularly serious because it means that lawyers have sat down and they've already they've seen the assurances Petrofax previously given and the revelations which have now come out and said there is there is a there's a law you know that there's a there's a lawsuit 
here which could be filed and a chance of winning so and that could that could be substantially larger than yeah, the fine indeed yeah yeah so it's is just that, i'm sorry i was just yeah, gonna say please. is that in the is that similar to the kind of rbs thing is it that you falsely yeah or the tesco thing we talked about recently yeah. as well absolutely so it would the 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 lawsuit presumably would be based or the proposed lawsuit would be based on the the, the idea that petrofac misled investors previously when they when they said we don't think that the unit oil uh, matters have has legs really because it yeah. seriously now looks like it does yeah i mean you know a broad more broadly we'll come back to petrofac very shortly you know we've talked we talked about this recently about about the rising prospects of companies being taken to court where, where there's there's felt to be uh some kind of behavior that has that has uh has lost shareholders money and I, i'm slightly worried about that that trend but equally if if this if this is becoming a trend then presumably companies are just gonna have to behave a lot better well, I mean, you get compliance right first, and then you know, and then that should reduce a company and its investors' worries about this. Yeah, it? yeah. It, it looks quite starkly that compliance, you know, is that question here. In, it, indeed, it seems mad. I mean, you know, let's talk about trading because I mean, they, what we're talking about is the prospect that trading materially worsens because of their 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 reputation impinging their ability to win new business. Um, but how is trading looking right now? I mean, do they, do they have a pipeline of new contracts? Is that have we have we seen evidence that's evaporating? Is there anything to say actually? You know, even with this potential fine, shareholder you know uh, shareholder lawsuit, trading is okay. Yeah. There, there, there certainly is, and this is the the bull case or the value case, which I, I mean, I struggle with it a little bit at the moment. But this is why people are still saying that you know the shares are a buy specifically now that they've they've fallen over fifty percent. People, analysts, well, we shareholders, do. not us, some shareholders, some shareholders, <laughs> not us. You know, I, I think I should take these these you know these points seriously. As no, well, I, because, I agree, I agree, absolutely. But, it could be, it, as I say, it could be a value recovery opportunity. Absolutely, and uh, if it is, it's it's probably one of the best you'll you'll see all year. I, I'd, I'd say the. You know, there, so there is an order book there that Petrofac has that runs into over seven billion, seven billion dollars. These are long dated contracts, so you know cash is going to be coming in over the next few years. They've got long term relationships, which uh, with oil and gas companies, state oil companies, which aren't going to disappear overnight just on the back of uh, you know this this current scandal. Um, but that's assuming that the relationships can be maintained. If work has been commissioned at the moment, and you have a few few oil and gas service providers uh, that you might put the push the work out to, would you necessarily go to Petrofac, given the the scale of the challenge and the the amount of time this is going to be consuming for management? Uh, I I, th- I think that that has to impact on trading. Okay, so I mean, you know, this is a it's a really relatively smallish industry, oil services. Um, you know, who who who's going to benefit from this if Petrofac does face an existential crisis and loses business? Well, I mean, the, the obvious candidates would be the likes of uh, John Wood and Amac Foster Wheeler. But I mean, last week John Wood in their in their the circular they put out put out for the Amac takeover, they've also raised various connections to unit oil and 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 their own investi- internal investigations i mean yes. that's an interesting point that i was about to, to raise is is this just not the way business is done in this industry right well i mean that's very, it's very opaque isn't it and it's it's hard to i suppose arrive arrive at a uh, definitive answer for you know to to <laughs> well, no, 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 you're, you're, abso- you're absolutely right. No, you're absolutely right, uh, Alex. Um, th- it is hard, but but one assumes, mm. you know, from what we've seen in various industries that that are involved in selling to, to the to, you know the far flung corners of the earth, yeah. uh, where perhaps uh, c- compliance standards are not as, as as rigorous as they are elsewhere. Um, 
this stuff is not uncommon this kind of behavior is not uncommon this is this is there is an expectation that if you want to win a a large contract with a state uh owned oil enterprise in you know god knows where that that some brown envelopes might change hands absolutely but this is why we have the bribery act and this is you know this is uh this has been you know the sfo has has lost some big high profile cases in the last years but you know, it's uh, un- under David Green. It's it's you know a lot more enforcement um, uh, focused, and that you know they've had some significant recent victories as well. So, I think make it ju- you know judging the call on on how much they like to get fined or trying to read in between the lines in the SFO's investigation is 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 not something I I think investors are able to do at the moment. For that reason, I think that's you know that that's why we're we're quite so bearish. At the yeah, is it is it just the SFO, or or is this going to go cross border in terms of the uh, regulatory authorities that, that that perhaps might get involved in this? Let's see. I mean, they 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 the the authorities you know regularly share information. I don't know if that's changing. You know, given light of uh, of of recent fallouts between uh, police services around the world, but um, but yeah, I mean, who knows? The, these things have a tendency to spiral, don't they? They do. They do, but then, as as we say, they also have. The, you know, there will be something at the end of this that that that, that maybe we can reassess at the time that Absolutely. might be a good opportunity for investors. But right now, we're saying, just yeah. just don't go near it. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, actually, I mean, while we're on the subject of uh, oil services, uh, Lamprell. Mm. Uh, I know you didn't write this one, Alex, but uh, I'm sure you have a view. Has won a, a, a really interesting contract with Aramco, which is a company that you do know that that we're currently looking at. Uh, I mean, this sounds amazing. Lampel is a company that's had all sorts of troubles throughout the, the oil downturn, but this this could does this mark the start of a bounce back? Potentially, I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're, I mean, the 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 details for the for the deal weren't entirely there, and it's always very hard, you know, as we're talking about uh, Petrofac as well. It's always it's it's quite hard to know when you see these contracts announced what kind of margin that's going to turn into, what sort of you know cash flow and the, the you know the, the the profits which will result from it. But I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge, huge deal for Lamprell. Uh, Amec also announced another deal with Saudi Aramco. I mean, I think the other interesting question is, you know, whether this this growing, you know, the, these these deals announced is in a way a prelude to Aramco, sort of, uh, you know, ahead of a potential listing in London. Coming to London. Coming to are we, London. Are we, are we seeing this as, a, yeah, the kind of divining rods are out? You know, these contracts with British oil services companies. Yeah. Here they come. Yeah, here they come. Um, though you know, of course, the oil services companies have have worked with Saudi Aramco for a long time. It's the biggest, it's the biggest uh, producer of oil on earth. So um, yeah, interesting deal. But uh, I think it's always the case with oil services companies. It's very hard to to judge whether it's a turning point on anyone anyone contract really. Okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, you've written a lot more in the news section this week. Derisory bid for Gemfields. Yeah. What do they make? We love the opening of this one. As a miner of Cutter Stones, Genfields is used to being stuck between a rock and a hard place. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, wonderful yeah apologies <laughs> for that um we like it so so gemfields i mean they own fabergé they bought it off this company Pallinghurst, which is a south african listed uh, diversified commodities group uh who have countered just a couple of years later with um, a, a nil premium bid for the 53 percent of shares they don't own in gemfields they've already got the support of uh uh about 20 i'm going to get the maths wrong here but uh 27 or 28 percent of other shareholders which will push them over um to the point where they can force through a deal not great news for gemfield's minority shareholders because the share price has done very very badly in in recent years the board have 
suggested shareholders to take no action. I suppose that might be in the end all they can take unless there is some sort of regulatory blockade to that. It's 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 it is as you said, stuck between a rock and a hard place, I think, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a nice little business. I always like the look of it. But, yeah. uh, I guess the uh, the reality has, has diverged with the narrative. Yeah, somewhat. I mean, they're very, very well marketed. Uh, they've, they've been hit by the Indian demonetization, which we talk about uh, elsewhere in the magazine, um, which, uh, you know, many of their customers or the gems that they send, they sell their you know, markets, they send their gems to have been, you know, really hit by cash flow issues. Uh, in the Indian economy in the last six months, and they're, so. they're semi semi precious stones, aren't they? I mean, they're not they're not diamonds, they're not. No, yeah, they're they're they're, they're semi precious. And what, so. what what have the prices of those done? I mean, is there a is there a spot price for a? No, I don't know, an no. emerald is. No, I mean it's uh, again a very opaque market. Um, I mean, pricing has been uh, has been a bit weak for for coloured gems as it has across the diamond market. But I mean, Gemfield's always had this nice story that they were they were quite differentiated to the diamond miners, which perhaps a little bit more reliant on these mega stones that they dig out once or twice a year and thus it's very very hard to forecast anything um but yeah i mean it's 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 a real shame it's hard to see really that this deal you know doesn't you know end up going through but the rough and the smooth of the a markets indeed there you go uh emma let's talk about ip uh, I know you didn't write this, but you do know these companies. And I like I this story. Uh, I think it's really interesting. We touched upon it last week. Uh, IP Group is raising some money, uh, has put in a bid, a, a cheeky bid for one of its rivals. Well, yeah, they they approached Touchstone. IP's the biggest out of... There's Allied Mines, IP Group and Touchstone Innovations. And IP Group's the biggest. Touch Touchstone, a lot smaller market cap. And it, it approached um, IP... IP's management approached Touchstone, suggesting a merger. Actually, we've had a bit more colour on that uh, today when uh, Touchstone Innovations Management issued a letter to shareholders. And it seems, um, I mean, all, all we were told at the time was that uh, they, you know, they couldn't agree terms. Well, now management of Touchstone have, have come out and said, actually, while he had a phone call with Mike Humphrey, uh, the chairman of IP Group, and whilst they were initially told that it was a merger and the word merger had been used actually it was a takeover and I think their their concerns were twofold firstly um, they thought that the bid which was uh, or potential bid which was an all share bid undervalued touchstone um, and they give a few reasons in terms of um, the value of its unquoted assets which are almost unpriceable but there you go well, I mean, this is something else we discussed in the piece. It's practically impossible to uh, value these companies. Um, but another point he makes is that um, that uh, that it's a people-based business, and that you know you could suppose since Touchstone would be the minority, um, since it would have, it would have comprised about thirty-eight percent. I think the shareholders of Touchstone uh, would have had in this newly enlarged group um, that there would have been losses. You know, people losses at Touchstone. Um, it's a small industry. Where are they going very to go? Small, it's a very small industry. And funnily enough, on the day that this potential bid was announced, shares in Allied Mind were up 6%, presumably because people thought maybe they could be the next one. They've had a lot of troubles recently. So, so what we're talking about in the piece, what Megan's talking about is actually she thinks that, that actually there's a very strong case for getting all these companies together. Yeah, because Do- essentially essentially, why you would invest in these companies is obviously she, she covers a lot of... You know, biotech and early stage companies, which are very hard to value, 
quite high risk, very high risk, in fact, in terms of investment, because a lot of them aren't even making any money. Well, in- indeed. And we have this week Red X Pharma, for example, a small biotech. Exactly. Which yeah. has basically gone bust. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, it has. Yeah. It's gone bust. But I think the, the reason you really invest in these companies, like an IP group, is because you get exposure to a broad range of assets. So whilst, I mean, inevitably you're going to get some duds in there, aren't you? Um, or some that just don't make money or don't reach full commercialization. Um, if you have others that, you know, do do well, that kind of balances it out. So that's the whole investment case. So I guess scale is a good thing yeah it's, right? a, classic, it's a classic i mean usvc model you know you, you have a very broad portfolio of companies yeah. and you know out of the 200 companies you invested if one of them makes it big turns into amazon or facebook you are laughing yeah who cares about the other 99 199 yeah and 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 touchstones management did actually say we saw not only did their their larger shareholders which they share all the group share obviously the same large shareholders um like woodford um he he said not only did the large shareholders um, encourage them to kind of to to enter into discussion with uh, IP, but also they they saw merit in the deal. So that's not a flat no. That's not saying that it's you know they did see merit in this deal. It was just they couldn't agree the terms. So who knows? There might be another deal. Maybe not between them even. Maybe you know allied minds. But I think consolidation in in this sector does seem likely. Good. Quite interesting. Reason to buy the shares. Or is it all in the price already? If well, we can work out how you well, get we, to that we've price. Actually, um, I think, yeah, we've actually got them. Last time I looked, a lot of them were trading at uh, premiums to their NAV. Again, how do you value that? Not especially attractive. I, th- I think if I was a shareholder, I'd, I'd be a little bit worried about this, to be honest. I mean, I don't... I mean, they're, so they're, this VC model, their core, their core idea is to make lots of small investments. When you're going for mergers, it seems like, they've, you know, they've... They're, they've spend a little bit too much time with investment bankers who think there's you know their lo- you know there's logic of the broader synergies of consolidating an industry which i mean the indi- it's not about consolidation it seems to me it's about it's about long term investments in small small growth companies rather than the benefits of adding another 100 companies to your to your, your stable but you're, but you're not just adding 100 companies you're adding the the entire i mean so these these companies the have different with relationships with different universities yeah. and the more universities you have in the pool the more intellectual properties yeah, coming they through have, the more you can direct what's happening in those universities presumably to some degree yeah they have so they have good links with like imperial yeah. for instance like ucl this is this is touchstone this is touchstone yeah, yeah. yeah so if you've got a really good um relationship with those universities the idea is is that you have yeah, you have broader connections, mm. and also, um, I mean, diversity is key in these with these companies. So, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with you on this one, Alex. I'm, I am always sceptical of you know the the influence of investment bankers in certain M and A, but but I can see logic to this. Yeah. You know, as but, I say, it's the it's it's the it's the probabilities of finding the big one just just improve yeah. when you have a larger portfolio. But I mean, it, it strikes me that a relationship with a university, I mean, it, it, the hurdles to, to building a relationship with a university, I mean, don't seem as... But they're exclusive deals. A large. Are they ex- exclusive deals? They're exclusive deals. deals. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, so, and in fact, if, I, if I'm right, I think Touchstone was formerly Imperial Innovations. Yeah. Because of its relationship because with its, Imperial. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and only Touchstone has that relationship with Imperial, which is one of the preeminent science-based universities yeah, you get in the UK. Their IP, yeah. So, so I, I don't know, Alex. I, I think we're going to. Well, that's that. An exclusive deal in itself is a bad thing. Then I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to change my opinion mid, mid rant. I quite like, I quite like this model. I quite like the fact that you know there is some some kind of 
um, potential feedback in terms of financing into universities. There's a lot of concerns at the moment around the financing of university research post-Brexit. I quite like this model. I think I think it's interesting. Okay, we're running, we're running out of time. We've been uh, talking a lot. Uh, let's let's quickly turn to results because it's the last busy week of results before uh, we get into July. Uh, Alex, let's start with you. Uh, let's, let's, let, you. You've gone off piste this week. Telford Holmes. Yes. Goodness me, how did you end up there? Well, I think Jonas Crosland is away. Oh yeah, so, that would uh, be it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Telford being uh, the build to rent. Uh, well, it's a house builder and house builder becoming yeah, a build build to rent focused house builder. Um, we've been fans of this for it seems like time immemorial, uh, but they've been doing very very well recently. This the build to rent model. I mean, maybe it's just just very very briefly recapping what that is. That there's a lot of institutional money that that wants to get into property, but they want it at obviously a, a better price. But they're willing to fund the construction of of large schemes up front. That's good news for for people like Telford Homes. Telford Homes is really the leader in the sector, it looks like, um, because it takes uh, financing requirements off their balance sheet, also means that they don't have huge amounts of working capital tied up in these schemes. So they're able to grow, it looks like, at a clip at the moment, and they they already have £230 million um, uh, worth of build to rent properties and this is you know this 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 new strategy is 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 barely two years old they think they're gonna you know this is gonna comprise at least half of their revenues within a couple of years as well it's a sweet spot in terms of the uh the the kind of political environment and 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 the housing strategy of whoever wins Mm. the general election i mean it's not gonna change absolutely i mean the chief executive said to me that is pretty agnostic about who wins the uh wins the election because you know london has a chronic shortage of of housing um but you know i suppose if corporate tax rate does jump to 26 percent, that that the entire you know the sector won't be uh completely happy but um but you know there's there's not a manifesto out there which has not put housing as one of the one of the focuses of course they do that every time don't they well indeed uh, I, I haven't paid well i have paid a lot of attention to the manifestos and i, I i've uh, i don't believe a, a word in them <laughs> um Twenty-four percent discount to the average price mm. of value for the sector. I mean, these shares seem extraordinarily cheap for a yeah. company that has not only proved itself a very capable house builder, but has shifted its model to really embrace the changes that are taking place in this market. I yeah. mean, this is a brilliantly run company. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. We always, we always, you know, we're always looking for the faults when we look at, at companies or the, you know, the potential headwinds. It's hard. It's hard to see with Telford where the. You know the immediate problems might arise. I suppose costs and labour. Let's touch wood. Before we say that sure. Thing. <laughs> costs and labour may may be an issue. Uh, you know, in 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 the in the next couple of years. I mean, at the moment they're saying there's there's that's not really a problem. Uh, but you know they're not very highly geared. They're paying a good dividend. Uh, it may just be that dis- you know that discount to the the rest of the market. Maybe investors still processing. You know the this new model, the build to rent uh, model, and 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 you know there might be a bit of disbelief that pension funds really are going to in, stay into this or pour into this long term. Uh, who knows? I mean, they're doing very well at the moment. I, I think there's no evidence to suggest that pension funds will get cold feet here. Mm. This is, the, I mean, as we were talking about earlier. I mean, you know, pension funds need assets. Well, they they they're trying to find yield. They're trying to find alternative exactly, assets. Yeah, exactly. Whether it be cheese or whiskey or build-to-rent flats. Mm. I mean, it's it, they need this stuff. So mm. yeah, I, I I can't see I can't see where there will be problems here. But hey, listen, who knows what's going to happen in the next year uh, with the economy and. 
who knows where we're going politically. It's a very exciting time in that respect, if you find that kind of thing exciting. Emma, uh, pick a result. Uh, yeah, so there's United Utilities results this week. Um, we've got them on a buy tip. I think I tipped them maybe two years ago now. Um, obviously, they're right in the midst of the current regulatory period, AMP6, which is a five-year period. Um, they're doing well. They've just committed another £100 million additional capital into their um, operational improvements. Um, they're judged against this thing called outcome delivery incentives, which is a technical term. But basically, um, they say, once they submit their business plan at the start of the regulatory period, we're going to deliver x y and it could be i don't know reduce leakages by this amount or um improve complaints handling by this amount and when it achieves these targets you get a financial reward they get a financial reward yeah so so there so is you, there, there is so, so they're, they're allowed as a utility to make a certain amount of profit and then if they achieve these these extra targets stretch targets whatever you want to call them yeah they so, can make some more money yeah exactly so um they'll all set a certain amount of targets so a really good way to judge the progress of something like a water company um because they are quite steady eddy but that's why you buy them um is by looking at how they're doing against their outcome delivery incentives and united utilities are doing well um hence why they just committed this extra 100 million capital and we still like this sector generally yeah i mean water water companies is just pure um a pure income play basically they they set their dividend policies at the start of every um regulatory period which is five years and basically they just keep to that okay i mean as you say pure income plays lovely lovely income generating regular as clockwork but that's why jeremy corbyn would like to have them back for the country are we worried about this risk I mean, yeah. I mean, that is that that is a risk, isn't it? If you are if you are a shareholder in one of these companies, I mean, I don't know. Are you going to? Who knows what would happen? Because I mean, we, we've actually tipped one of the other water companies in the Pennon. Uh, Pennon in the uh, the tip section this week, and again, I mean, it look it, it it looks just as strong as United Utilities. Stronger, I'd argue, because um, it's got it's it's got the best dividend poli- the, the most generous dividend policy um, in the water sector. I think it's RPI plus four percent every year. So. What's not to like? No, what's not to like? Um, I suppose that I suppose one of the defensive things is that I mean, with United Utility, just look at the the debt profile there as well. You know, if if this was going to be nationalised, that's quite a. If you're taking the debt into account of with the market cap and the enterprise value is going to be, you know, a, a, a big big deal. Were they to be taken back over by uh, government? Yeah, nobody's really talked about that. I mean, people, you know, for example, when these ideas of renationalising certain certain utilities were, were first mooted uh, after the launch of Labour's manifesto, people talked about the value of a National Grid's uh, UK distribution business and the, the, the market cap of these water companies, but they haven't actually talked about the kind of financial structure yeah. of them. Uh, and as you say, they, they tend to have a very large large amount of debt. Yeah, that's it's the way they got, work. Yeah, because they've got such large assets. That's why they have such large debt. So, so, so basically, you know, you are paying. You have to would have to pay the shareholders to to buy back the shares. You would have to take on the debt onto the to the national accounts. Yeah, this all adds up. Quite I suppose. Quickly. I suppose you know, Labour would say, will you refinance the debt at government borrowing rates, which is which is which would be a lot cheaper, but they're still you I know, still I, I, the debt pile. I don't know what their borrowing rates are, but I don't think they would be particularly high. Right. Companies like this. Right. I, I think these guys can borrow very very cheaply already. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right, there we go. Anyway, lots more results in the, uh, the results section this week. Thank you, Emma, and thank you, Alex, for your, uh, your insights today. 
Right, uh, just to run you through what else we've got in the magazine, Alex has written the sex focus this week on uh, Mineral Sands, uh, which is a good read. A couple of features which we haven't talked about today because neither of the writers of those features are here. James Norrington has taken a look at, at volatility in the VIX and what it really means, because a lot has been said about it in, in what we suggest is quite a sensational manner. Philip is looking at some, some very detailed uh, counting techniques that, that we believe will help you uh, assess companies better lots in the personal finance and fund section not one but two portfolio clinics this week they'll be talking about their uh, their fund section uh, on their podcast tomorrow and all the usual news uh, beyond what we've spoken about already uh, lots of company results as i've said and the usual comments there you go that is it for me for a month never mind the volatility read into that what you will for pound 90 in all good news agents yeah or get online and subscribe and i'll see you again in a few weeks when you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. And uh, leaving the capable hands of my colleagues. Thank you very much.